2: Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads. A space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space.
1: Welcome to MindSpace, Evan. How are you today? Good, Jeff. How are you? I am doing very well, and uh, it's good to be here. We're 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 chugging along with this MindSpace thing. Uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying this podcast. I wanted to yeah. Tell this you. will be episode five. That's 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 five good ones, and a lot more to come. And today we have a good one. Um, yeah, and it's it's kind of keeping with our music theme. We've had a lot of music stuff lately. Uh, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit of a surprise, but it's a pleasant surprise. I love music and I love musicians. I love talking to musicians more than actors and directors, actually. Do you know why that is? Why is that? Because I think that the best actors are someone else. Well, the best musicians are themselves and the best actors are someone else. You know, like as as far as interviewing people. That's
2: a good way of putting it.
1: Yeah, because like if you interview somebody like Robert De Niro or, uh, you know, I interviewed Kevin Spacey many times over the years and I'm, even before all the stuff came out about Kevin, I remember thinking that every time I interviewed him, he seemed like a different person. Like it, it, it I just got the feeling that he was, uh, you know, gaming me. Like he was giving me mm. somebody It was a version of himself. But you interview somebody like Neil Young or Eminem or Ice Cube, uh, you get the real deal. You know, those guys who they are because they can't turn it off. You know, so I yeah. was like that. It's and today we have a great musician who has done some acting as well. It's uh, Bron Daler from uh, the great band Mastodon. And, you know, Mastodon is celebrating their 20th anniversary this year.
2: Yeah. It's really cool to see their band, you know, two decades and their music is always kind of changing with the band.
1: Yeah. And uh, it's intense music and uh, and and Bron's kind of... A, a, He's an intense guy, but he's also a fun guy. And that that was what I wasn't necessarily expecting uh, with the interview, I thought he was pretty funny.
2: Oh yeah, he and he was excited and you could just tell that like he loves his job and he just loves what he's doing overall.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've never, uh, you know, i come music for like seven years for the LA Times and interviewed, you know, uh, scores and scores of musicians. And he, he is the first one I ever have talked to that wanted to do the interview before noon. It <laughs> yeah, that never happens. Cute. Never happens. I've had people say, can we do the interview at 1 a.m.? But I've never had anybody say, can we do it at 8 a.m. Or, you know, or 10 a.m.? So yeah. those guys, I wouldn't bet against Mastodon. that They must be getting up pretty early in the morning.
2: You know, they should do a morning rock show, 8
1: a.m., start the, start the concert. Yeah.
2: See, see who shows up.
1: I think that's a good idea.
2: So we have him lined up. Before we do, I wanted to get to two big things that came out of this week. Sure. First of all is the big, well, both of them are Marvel news, but the first one is Kang the Conqueror is coming to the Marvel Universe in Ant-Man 3.
1: You know, uh, that is interesting. I When I first read it, I thought it said Tang, so I thought that they were bringing uh, the space drink, you know, the uh, the, uh, the, the monkey powder-based runner? astronaut beverage, uh, which would have been a much, much lamer choice. So I think that uh, Kang the Conqueror is much better than Tang the drink.
2: Well, you know, a, a can of Tang could actually be pretty dangerous if Ant-Man was small. He could It's like quicksand to him.
1: Well, now you got me thinking. I think that, that maybe maybe there's a team-up possibility, Kang and Tang.
2: I think they found their two writers
1: for the movie. Oh, man. There you go. Kang and Tang. We'll, but, we'll uh, let that one go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but Kang is uh, actually, so I, I need your help on this one. I don't know anything about King the Conqueror. I know that he came out of kind of the Kirby comics. Is that correct? Yeah.
1: Um, So, yeah, King the Conqueror, he goes way back. Uh, He was in the Avengers uh, in the first 10 issues. You know, he showed up. Oh, wow. And he is, uh, um, you know, he's kind of a time-based villain, uh, time travel. And uh, he's had different personas. He showed up in uh, uh, the Fantastic Four as a pharaoh. And then he showed up in the Avengers as Kang and supposed to be the same person, different time eras, uh, different uh, alter egos. And I remember uh, in the 70s, a lot of people thought he was gonna turn out to be Dr. Doom as well, because Dr. Doom did time travel stuff. Um, And in his origin story, he's introduced as uh, a guy that is using Dr. Doom's time travel technology in the far future um, to commit crimes in the past. Interesting. So, you know, a lot of people don't like time travel movies, or or I shouldn't say they don't like them, but they can be a challenge. Time travel movies can be a challenge for people, like even like, uh, I think with Endgame, you know, it's trying to get your head around, you know, which version of reality is going to happen and, you know, what the rules of time travel are is is a challenge to every screenwriter. And, uh, um, you know, we haven't seen a ton of, we hadn't seen a ton of time travel superhero movies until you know, the X-Men really, uh, with Days of Future Past and things like that. And now, uh, of course, uh, the Avengers, uh, going back to that time travel. hmm And it's, uh, it's not a huge, uh, not be a huge King fan, I have to say. Not oh, really? I mean, he's, I just, I, he, has got a, um, a good name because it's short and memorable. But, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I never really had a great sense of the character, you know, but, uh, you know, that can change. I, I think uh, Marvel showed that they can take pieces of uh, the mythology from the comics and, and turn it and give it new life on the screen. The biggest and, and most vivid example being Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, they they yeah. reinvented characters in, in in significant ways and cherry-picked what they wanted from, you know, the comics. And, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy was never really a, a successful comic book. Uh, it wasn't even being published when the movie came out. Uh, so uh, it's a testament to James Gunn's storytelling and to Kevin Feige's sensibilities and to the Marvel success that they, that just continues to chug along, you know?
2: Yeah, that's kind of what Liam was saying last week. He was like, you know, one of my favorite characters is Star-Lord, but looking at Star-Lord when I was a kid and looking at Star-Lord now, they're two completely different characters.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's right, uh, you know, just apples and oranges. Good.
2: But uh, Kang's gonna be played by Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Majors, who's currently on Lovecraft Country. I don't know if you've seen that show, but I think it's gonna—he's gonna be a very good choice for that. He's kind of an up-and-coming actor.
1: Great, yeah. You know, i, I think the, the if there was one signature part of the Marvel success uh, that maybe doesn't even get enough acknowledgement, it's—it's it's the casting. Is they just do a great job mm-hmm. with the casting, and they've done it with people that are almost like reclamation projects—people that haven't been around for a while, like Robert Downey Jr. being the premium example of that when Iron Man came out back in 2008 but also you know with uh kind of uh, picking up the Richard Donner tradition if you look at Superman like the cast of Superman had all these famous actors uh, in relatively small roles like Glenn Ford and you know uh just uh so many people uh in that movie and um Marvel's kind of subscribed to that and and you end up getting people like jeff bridges or an anthony hopkins or renee russo uh you know veteran of established premier actors uh talent and uh you know just on the periphery but it brings a lot of credibility and also it's uh, it helps get really good directors and it helps get really good young stars who may be unknowns but they see who they get to act with and they jump on board like i'm sure chris hemsworth when he found out that the the cast of Thor would have Natalie Portman and Anthony Hopkins and, you know, Rene Russo and, and, and uh, you know, you look at Asgard, the list goes on and on Idris Elba and like really very talented people. So.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. very true.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and then it's going to be written by Jeff Loveness who is currently writing on Rick and Morty or just started writing on Rick and Morty, which makes yeah. me think that they might be applying some sort of multiverse to Ant-Man to, because now that they own with the Fantastic Four and X-Men, I'm wondering if this is a way in which they, they're going to start trying to bridge some of these universes into one.
1: Yeah, it sure makes sense. Uh, it would sure make sense to do that. And uh, uh, you know, in my, I, I've always thought that the negative zone, which is a big part of the Fantastic Four, is that they explore the negative zone. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a portal to it that uh, that that could be an entry point into the other worlds. Like you know, uh, I could just see like in my head like the negative zone portal. The fantastic four there and they leave the room and then you see like a claw come through and it's Wolverine or you know you see um a shield come flying through and it's whoever Captain America is or you know it's mm-hmm. kind of exciting to think about what it's going to be like when that moment happens when in that circumstance or in a different whatever the setup is you have these characters finally meet on the screen it was it's like when Spider-Man showed up in the Marvel movies yeah it was a real excitement to it especially for people that knew you know, what that represented as far as the legacy of the, the comics and the, and the Marvel universe as a whole. Do you think they're going to try to get
2: Hugh Jackman back in the character? Do you think if they bring X-Men in, they're going to find a new young?
1: It's a good question. I think, I think, um, I would think that they, if I think they would love to have Hugh Jackman to uh, do it, but I don't know that he would love to do it. Uh, gotcha. I think, that, you know, he might have had his, you know, uh, his, his, is Phil on that, um, but I don't really have a sense of that. You know, uh, you look at the people that have left, you know, the, Chris Evans has moved on, obviously Robert Downey Jr. is not gonna be in the franchise, uh, Scarlett Johansson, I mean, other than this Black Widow uh, project coming up, and which has, also has Downey, but moving forward, I mean, that's, that's a significant number, and, and of course Chadwick, you know, uh, Chadwick mm-hmm. Boseman as well. I mean, they've lost a significant amount of star power Uh, in in fairly short order. So I would think having somebody like Hugh Jackman in the portfolio of, you know, uh, within the uh, ensemble uh, would be a a, a real plus.
2: I have some other news
1: for you, Uh which is, that came out yesterday, which was the She-Hulk news. Oh, the casting for She-Hulk. Yes. I can't believe they found a green actress. I mean, it's been an exhaustive search, uh, but they finally found a green person.
2: Yeah, it's oh, definitely um, hard to find someone with green skin to play someone with green skin, but they did it. Um, her name is Tatiana Maslany. She's from Orphan Black. Oh yeah. And
1: she looks like a great choice. But Yeah, like I said, Marvel casting, I would never bet against them. I mean, there's only been a few misses that they've had and they've, they've had a lot of hits, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. She looks an interesting character. You know, it's, it's a character that's had like a, a real popularity with fans that's almost defied, uh, reason (laughs) like what I mean by that is like uh, even when there wasn't a ton of She-Hulk stuff coming out people seemed to really like her Um, and uh, I think that's interesting John Byrne did a great run of She-Hulk he he was a big fan of the character and he sort of really uh, in the 80s did the series that um, you know added a lot of dimension to the character who uh, for people may not know She-Hulk she uh, is the cousin of Bruce Banner. So she's the cousin of the guy that's the Hulk and she's an attorney. And uh, she's uh, in the comics, which started in 1979, she made her debut. Um, uh, She's presented as an attorney with a life-threatening illness and she needs a blood transfusion. transfusion, And it comes in the form of donated blood by her cousin, Bruce Banner. And guess what happens when that blood gets into her system? she gets green, uh, and unlike Bruce Banner, she doesn't transmogrify um, on sort of periodically. She just did this one shift, so she became green and big, but she remained. She held on to her intellect, um, and she didn't sort of get dumbed down the way that Bruce does when he turns into the Hulk. So she's different, so kind of like what Bruce Banner turns into by Avengers when he's Hulk, but
2: he still has his brain. Precisely, power. precisely. That's interesting. Yeah. It makes me wonder do you think they're trying now with like this disney plus series you think they're trying to incorporate some sort of new young avengers now that they're
1: hiring all this these younger 100%, people 100 percent. yeah yeah i think it's you know if you're if you're planning out movies by the decade which they have to do um you and you hear uh, a concept like young avengers i mean that sort of it presents itself pretty quickly as a, as a good idea so yeah i think they're pursuing that for sure um and i think she also a fun character she's uh there's this there's a sort of comedic element to her stories often, which again, John Byrne was uh, really sort of emphasized. And, um, you know, she's a giant green lady. So, and, and unlike, like say Gamora, <coughs> excuse me, unlike Gamora or uh, Nebula, she is a, a person who uh, is on earth, you know, and is in, in our, in trying to succeed in the corporate world, in the legal world. And uh, so that you know, much hijinks ensues. Um, it, it's interesting about the creation of the character. She was created. She was the last Marvel character, I believe, one of she was the last Marvel character credited to Stan Lee uh, that he created. Um, uh, that became oh, wow. like a, became an enduring part of the Marvel Universe. I mean, he might have created like uh, a supporting character in one of her issues, you know uh, back in seventy nine. but as far as like a, a central character and the character that endured uh that would be the last one and it was a, a protective move like they they thought that uh uh filmation which was an animation company was doing a, a web woman uh cartoon mm-hmm. <clears throat> which they felt would sort of tread into spider-man territory so marvel defensively created spider-woman oh that's uh, right the character and, and 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 rushed her in into uh the pipeline and uh and while they were doing it, they said, well, we might as well do the Hulk too, uh, for good measure. So they introduced Spider-Woman and Um, She-Hulk. It's it's almost like a a preemptive uh, protection against somebody else doing it. They didn't wanna see a giant green lady in in DC comics or something like that.
2: Well, do you have any idea of who the main villain of this new Disney Plus series might be?
1: You know, I don't. Um, They could go in a lot of different directions. you know, it would be interesting to see how they incorporate Mark Ruffalo uh, yeah. and the whole character. Uh, that should be kind of fun. Um, and and she also opens up an interesting thing is, uh, you know, as it is now, and a lot of people don't really realize this, but uh, the, the deal that Marvel has with Sony about Spider-Man, like Marvel can use Spider-Man as part of an ensemble, but if it's a, if it's a title feature, if it's a Spider-Man movie that he's mentioned in the title, it's a Sony movie and Marvel becomes kind of like a partner to them, but they become the lead and they have a, a different arrangement. Um, and Marvel has the same or similar deal in place, uh, and it actually predates that Sony deal. They have a similar deal in place with Universal and the Hulk. Um, Marvel can't do a Hulk movie uh, with oh, Hulk as a in title without Universal. Universal would be in the pilot seat on that. You know, they And that's why I think you know you saw Hulk and Ragnarok Thor Ragnarok Mm -hmm. is there's a way to put him in a movie where he's not the title character but a significant part of the film uh, but not have to kind of uh, allow Universal to to take over the controls and 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 take different uh and get a piece of the action
2: yeah so maybe maybe Red Hulk I know he's a character in the Hulk. Universe. I I don't know. To
1: Universal's attorneys, we going to go for that. I think you can make them any color you want, but if it says Hulk in the title, I think they're going to come for the. Uh, they're they're going to kind of dial in. But the interesting thing is, that I don't know how She-Hulk fits into that. You know, um, gotcha. yeah. You know, I don't know if that's a part of that deal or not. Um, and that's interesting. I'll try and find that out. I, I know some people I can talk to about that. So.
2: Well, it's very cool about She-Hulk. I'm looking forward to that series. I think it's coming out this year. I could be wrong. Probably 2021, but.
1: Yeah, the Disney Plus stuff should be a lot of fun with the, um, uh, I like the comedy stuff that they're doing. You know, the Vision and Scarlet Witch series looks very funny and very kind of unexpected and and, uh, the the way it's kind of riffing on old sitcoms, you know, um, the preview stuff that we've seen from that. And I think She-Hulk is going to be funny and, uh, you know, some of the other titles that they have, I think uh, clearly they're going to kind of um, make some stuff that they hope will be a lot of fun, and I think that, yeah. that's that's good for movies and that's good for superheroes.
2: Definitely. Well, so we have our interview up here. We have Bron Daler from Mastodon. Um, they have a new single out for the Bill and Ted movie, and they just released a new album last week.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a collection of rarities, and and uh, it's got the 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 song from the soundtrack, and and uh, you know a few. Uh, odds and ends that they've uh, kind of put together into a, um, a a collection that fans will love and and then he talked about them working on some new music as well uh, during the interview which i know some messed on fans will that'll perk up their ears
2: yeah definitely well unless you have anything else we can get to the interview
1: no let's do it man all right let's do it all right hey Brian. hey what's up not much how you doing man i'm doing all right It's very good to talk to you. Um, We haven't talked before, but uh, it's kind of surprising. You guys have been around quite a while. This is your uh, 20th anniversary, right? Yeah. That's amazing. That's like a milestone a lot of people don't reach in this business.
0: Yeah, I think it is, but it never feels like 20 years. I guess the biggest thing for us is basically 20 years of inside jokes, so it's almost impossible to be around the four of
1: us when we're together. That's great. Yeah, you guys definitely, your sense of humor comes across in a lot of stuff you do. I mean, not necessarily lyrically, but in the, of a lot of the, the music, video projects and, and just the, the sensibility of the band.
0: Yeah, I guess that's where we try to like uh, be funny. For the life of me, I can't come up with a serious treatment for a video. It's always ridiculous in some way, and I, I've tried, I don't know, I just can't. When it comes to album themes, I can get all serious, you know? Uh, right. But when it comes to the videos, I don't know, for some reason I, I feel like those should be a little more fun. Yeah. But it does upset people, you know. They have this thing in their mind, you know, that's attached to the heavy content of the lyrics and the song and the way it makes them feel and the way that they interpret it and the way that they think that a a visual would accompany it. And then uh, there's a bunch of clowns running around and it's like,
1: no! (laughs) Yeah, it makes them probably feel like you're making fun of the music, which makes them feel a little silly sometimes, probably.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. But it really doesn't have anything to do with them. It's really just, uh, I'll come up with an idea and i'll get excited about it and you know it has nothing to do with the lyrical content of the song it's like a whole separate entity
1: yeah is that because you guys are in the videos like do you feel like you don't take yourself that seriously do you think you might do more serious videos for instance if you did like animation full-on ones like tool
0: i don't know it would have to be someone else's idea you know like we just put out Mm. this fallen torches video and that i guess could be considered a serious tone to it you know i guess it's like a Crazy sci fi looking thing, you know, but it uh, yeah. wasn't anything. There's no real treatment involved there, you know what I mean? There's no uh, story that's told, there's no narrative throughout yeah. it, you know. So yeah. it's really more eye candy, if anything yeah. else, but it's not, um, it's not silly in any way. So that might have been good for some, some people that were wanting some seriousness from us when it comes sure. to the, that, that aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they could just close their eyes, right? It's, like if it, It's true. If
0: the if the com if the comedy got too too much for them. I
1: don't know. That's great. Uh, speaking of comedy, uh, you guys have a song on the Bill and Teds, the new movie soundtrack, which is great. although I have to say I kind of I would imagine you guys more on a river's edge kind of soundtrack. Like uh,
0: Yeah, when I saw Bill and Ted for the first time, when I saw that movie, I was like, holy shit, it's Matt from River's Edge. Yeah, right. You know, because I didn't know who Keanu Reeves was. I just knew that he was Matt. And River's Edge was like, when I was a kid, probably 13 or so, I think my dad gave me a VHS that he had taped off of HBO or something like that. It had two movies on it. It was River's Edge and Blue Velvet, back to back. Wow. And so uh, when I was like 14 or so, and I started... I had this summer where me and my best friend Jay Feniger we discovered LSD, mm-hmm. and we started sort of taking it almost on a daily basis because there was this guy named I shouldn't I, I I should probably shouldn't say his name but his name was Declan. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I should say his, address and his social security number. Yeah, either, he lived on uh, he lived on
0: Dewey Avenue, uh, <laughs> Rochester, New York, right across from uh, the Princess Restaurant. Anyways,
1: <laughs> enough Enough don't about, hang, enough about don't hang out with Broad. Don't trust Broad. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was our movie, like, every night after we would trip. We took uh-huh. acid almost every night. Uh, yeah. It was kind of the harmless sort of white blotter stuff, so it wasn't like a, a big, heavy introspective. It was just more laughing for hours on end and sure. watching, uh, you know, getting, getting them hand trails and just kind of riding our bikes around at all hours of the night. Good yeah. times. But uh, we would end every evening with River's Edge. And that, was, that would spill into uh, Blue Velvet, but River's Edge, we would just quote it nonstop. And throughout the years, I've met several other people that can quote River's Edge start to finish.
1: It's one of those movies, you know, and it was such a, when it came out, it was a powerful impact on, on young moviegoers and, and, and on video even more, the way that you found it, you know, I mean, for years.
0: I think that maybe for older people, it, it was a sort of a rude awakening as to what the youth of that generation, what, the, what they were, what was going on and what was a possibility, you know, yeah.
1: what are our kids doing? Those two films are aesthetics of them, the, the the atmospherics of them, and like the, they're so unsettling and, and the rhythms are so different. That's a really interesting tandem for your, your pop to give you.
0: Uh, yeah, I know. I think thinking about it now, it's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean... I think that my relationship with my parents, both of them, my mom and my dad, even though they were two separate things, both were really entrenched in movies, Mm. you know, like that was like a big part of, of our relationships were going to the movies. You know, I had my dad, we saw my dad on the weekends. So it was kind of like, first and foremost, we would go to the record store, which was right around the corner from our house and when he picked us up, it was like, okay, first order of business was going to this place called the Record Archive in Rochester.
1: Oh, so it's like uh, an indie store kind of?
0: Yeah, that's pretty much all there was in Rochester. At that time, there was like, you know, just just, uh, little record stores. And uh, so we'd go there and he'd let us pick out a record or he was usually had something in mind that he wanted to, wanted to score. Uh, mm-hmm. so we would do that and then we'd go to the movies and then after the movie, we'd go get something to eat and we would discuss the movie, you know, That's great. S- sit there and be like, okay, well, what do you think the motivation is? Why do you think this person did that? And why do you think, you know, so we really kind of dissect it and go through it. And the same with my mom, there was a movie theater that was, um, walking distance from our house called the cinema theater in, in Rochester. It's just a one screen, you know? Uh And so we would just go, whatever was playing, we would go see it, you know, whether it be, I mean, I think I saw Racerhead when I was little, I saw (laughs) we went to Conan the Barbarian, it was just whatever was there, we would go see it. And then also, we would, you know, discuss it. So it was very, like, two very cinema based relationships, you know, which is still kind of, which is still very much there for me and my, me and my folks. And we talk about movies all the time.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm like that with my kids, you know, like that's a big thing for us as movies and it, we communicate a lot through them and, and also record stores as well. Um, you know, I did, I've done a bunch of interviews at record stores because of uh, when talking to musicians, like I interviewed Shelby Lynn once and she had, she's, it's really, she's a tough interview because she's been through so much, you know, like, you know, she witnessed one of her parents murder the other one, but I took her to a record store and as she was looking at the Dusty Springfield records and the James Brown and the you know uh, Otis Redding she was telling stories about her life yeah and the way that she absorbed the music so to her she was just talking about music but really it was like signposts all through her life and her relations and stuff so like walking around a record store is actually a very therapeutic thing to do with uh with somebody (laughs)
0: yeah it is it because you know you got all these memory jogs as you move through the different sections and the different uh albums for especially you know if you grew up in that time and you spent a lot of time at record stores and, and music has been all the pillars of your life re- revolve around it uh, yeah. that's going to be almost like a photo album
1: yeah exactly exactly that's really well put because of your sense of humor and because of their your sense of cinema i would imagine it must be a real treat or a real honor really uh, to do a song that has a, a, a george carlin character mentioned in the title like uh you know he's such a great i mean to me the guy was like one of the signature figures, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's beyond, you know, he's, uh, you know, I mean, he's the, he's going to be your focal point for all, everything that came after him. You know, he's the focal point for Bill Hicks, you know, I think. Sure. Uh, and he's going to be the jumping off point for that style of comedy or, you know, when you use humor in that way to kind of try to make a breakthrough with people, you know, to yeah. uh, show them, how ridiculous everything is, um, you know, politically. And so, I mean, when it came time to name the song,
1: I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, it has
0: to be, we have to mention Rufus because we have to mention George Carlin would be a shame not to. So yeah, Rufus Lives, we're just like, yeah, that's got it. That's the title for sure.
1: That's great. Uh, So Rufus Lives on the the Bill and Ted's uh, soundtrack. I haven't seen the film yet, uh, but I'm hearing really good things about it. I heard it was really fun, which is awesome. And it kind of gives Keanu a lot of credit for not taking himself very seriously by doing it in a way. It feels like I could see him not returning to a role like that. It makes him even more likable to me.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I I like Keanu Reeves because of the fact that I love River's Edge so much, you know, but I also yeah. liked Bill and Ted's when it came out when I was a kid, it was like super fun movie, you know, it's like, sure. uh, that is a definitely, that's definitely a needed thing. You know, I'm not going to sit and say that every single Movie that I watch has to be this like sprawling epic drama, you know. I mean, obviously, like that too, but uh, yeah, for him to sort of get back into that role is pretty, that's, that's very cool of him, I think. And uh, I saw the movie, I bought it uh, when it came out and watched it, and uh, it was super fun, yeah. It, and it was yeah. it's just cool to be a part of that kind of stuff i feel like we've been invited to all these really cool sort of pop culture moments you know throughout the the years Yeah. Uh, whether it be aqua teen hunger force or game of thrones or bill and ted's it's always one of these things where you just don't see it coming you know and they kind of just sort of land in your lap and you go oh cool yeah we'll do that of course you
1: know sure Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a a Z-League thing uh, to use use another movie reference that I I, I can now use confidently knowing that you'll get. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) You know, the Game of Thrones thing is fascinating. Uh, You know, the the phenomena of that show and and the world it created and what it meant to fantasy fans to finally see something, you know, that uh, had the authenticity, but also the the ambition and, and, you know, world-class, you know, craft to match the the imaginations that they've had for all these years, you know, it meant a lot to a lot of people. It must've been really cool for you to, to, uh, I started to say, do a walk on, but I guess it was more of a walker on.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys were on, you run both living and dead, if I recall.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was like mind blowing, you know, to be asked. When all that came, came about, we were, I think we yeah, we were on tour and we played a, a big festival in the UK with, uh, I think it was Download Festival. It's like Iron Maiden or Metallica, Motorhead, Alice and Chains, a whole bunch of bands. Nice. And uh, after the gig, I think it was our last show or second to last show uh, on that tour, we were all feeling pretty beat, so we all took off and went back to the hotel. And Brent stayed because he wanted to hang out and watch Metallica and stuff. And um, he ended up meeting Dan Weiss and a few members of the cast that were there Hanging out, you know. They came up to Brent. They're like, "Hey, can we get our picture with you?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure. You got. Sound, you sound like you're from the states. Where you know where you're from?" And they're like, "Oh, we're from L.A. Cool. What are you doing in town?" "Oh, we're here filming a TV show." "Oh, cool. What TV show?" "Game of Thrones." but "Get the fuck out of here." <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so uh, you know, um, our publicist Emma was there with Brent, and they got they exchanged information and stuff. And they said, "Hey, if you ever heard in Belfast, that's where we do a majority of the filming." um the and next so we day. just the next day yeah <laughs> so uh we ended up starting a tour in ireland and we flew in the day early and went to belfast and you know stayed up we were on in probably one of the most memorable episodes which was the hard yeah. episode uh with uh that epic it was really amazing you know to be a part of and you know looking back on it i mean it was amazing to be there kind of hanging out with the white walkers you know yeah. i just remember being in this this tent it was kind of cold out it was cold up there it was they filmed in this big quarry that was north of belfast huh. and you know you're there for like 14 hours and you're kind of laying in the mud and uh i'd gotten uh stabbed in the stomach and then had my throat slit like 20 or 30 times in a row by a nice hungarian man
1: showbiz <laughs> glamour
0: yeah yeah <laughs> and uh i'm like sitting in this tent with the uh, the scariest white walker that makeup just looks insane like there's no real i mean you're with a white walker you know right the there's, real no, humanity.
1: there's right. no humanity there's no humanity in the face <laughs>
0: you're like you know they're doing something in post to like fix that up to make it look extra scary which they are but when you're sitting with it it's like that is really scary but the guy was a sweetheart you know and he's just <laughs> sitting there and he's like kind of just upset because he's got this hot chocolate but there's no straw and he can't drink it because you can't ruin the prosthetics that are on his face you know so <laughs> he's like uh sitting there complaining can you get me a straw please i'd like to drink this hot cocoa but i
1: don't have a fucking straw <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's awesome
0: and just uh, uh it's a nice little moment
1: that's terrific. <laughs> that, yeah. It's so strange, those surreal moments. I had a, uh, uh, just a random, bizarre moment. I was in uh, Budapest I- interviewing Brad Pitt on World War Z, and it was like midnight. I look down, I'm up on this ridgeline talking to him, and there's like 2,000 zombies standing there star- <laughs> staring at us. They were yeah. Hungarian extras with their, you know, the zombie cigarettes smoking, and just, and they're not a sound from them. Like, a, it was the eeriest thing. I, like, I think I cried out loud like a, a little girl. I'm like, yeah. It's not a good start to the interview, quite honestly. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bet, yeah. So um, uh, you guys have connections with all kinds of Comic-Con culture and, um, uh, you know, to use a kind of broad term, I guess, but uh, there was like the DC Comics project as well, right? Yeah, I did something with I mean, well, that. Well, that was just solo
0: yeah, that was just me and uh, Mike Elizondo. yeah, so um it's interesting to me that there's more people hit me up to sing on stuff than to play drums on stuff, which is kind of funny because <laughs> I don't <laughs> I just don't consider myself a very good vocalist or singer or anything, you know what I mean? I'm definitely more in the I'm a drummer, you know, like yeah, I sing some stuff, but you know, but if I ever get asked to do stuff by anybody, it's it's for singing, not for drumming. <laughs>
1: Isn't that interesting? It fascinates me that somebody can sing and play drums at the same time. I know that sounds probably ridiculous but like watching like Don Henley or or uh, Levon Helm or Phil Collins or you like it I don't it seems like it's two different sides of the brain but you guys make it look easy.
0: Uh yeah, I don't know about easy but um it's it's definitely challenging and it's it's something that it, there's there's moments where I've said I wish I hadn't opened this box, you know. <laughs> uh and admitted to the, that I could do it, you know, or, or just because the only thing I ever had to worry about was playing drums, which is easy for me. You know what I mean? And it's, it's what I do and... You can compartmentalize it. Yeah, I can just, but singing is a whole nother animal, you know, and you really have to take really good care of yourself, which I think has probably lent itself to a lifestyle change for me. You know what I mean? Not, I'm not, not on a major scale or anything but I've you know just had to just be more careful on on tour you know because it's so easy to get sick out there right I mean you're traveling nonstop, and you you know you're just your immune system is not what it should be ever you know especially when you get to the tail end of a tour you're just like so right yeah you're done like I mean you know for me when I when I play a set I'm burning over a thousand calories in a you know in a set so that's that's a workout that's a heavy duty workout that's like jogging you know 11 miles so i'm singing for that amount of time as well yeah so it just opened up a whole new can of anxiety for me basically (laughs) you know where if i wake up in the in the morning on the bus and i have a little tickle in my throat which is almost every single morning because they just are pumping in that ac you know you're like oh shit so all the singers that tour, they all have the same worries and concerns, you know, and I'm like, okay, so now I get to add that to the pile of, uh, sure. you know, I mean, I'm already covered in worry wards and I have been for the majority of my life, but now that, you know, add that, you know, and then just try, trying to be as consistent as possible as far. And it's, tr- you know, listening back to some things and being like, Oh man, I thought I was like nailing that. and I'm totally not, you know, <laughs> like
1: yeah.
0: uh perception when you're on stage and playing this, a lot of, you know, when there's drums involved, there's a lot of like, it takes up a lot of the musical space. So like you might not be, you think you're hearing the note correctly coming through your in-ears, but you obviously aren't. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I have to like fix that somehow. and So it's, it's always a work in progress, but I, I do enjoy it. You know, I've mm-hmm. always been able to sing since I was a kid. My mom was a singer. My grandmother was a singer. My grandfather was a singer you know they all played in bands and stuff and so and when i hear my voice i can hear my mother's voice like which is kind of crazy but you know i can just hear my mom singing and she's she says the same thing she's like oh it's so weird when i hear you sing i I can hear like i hear myself singing uh back in the early 80s my mom had a band called caper and they were a cover band they did mostly like they did like cool yes and genesis and they did some like uh Judas Priest and Black Sabbath and yeah. Wow. So uh
1: those are hard songs to sing, like uh, the yes songs and stuff. I mean those
0: are Oh yeah, I mean she was a great singer.
1: hmm That's that's great the, that you can hear her voice. That that must be nice. Uh you know, it's always kinda of cool to, when legacy kind of fits into our our lives like that. Um Yeah,
0: it's a nice gift.
1: Yeah. You know, for, for for everybody, every every different chapter of their life, there's like a new challenge and there's a new opportunity. Uh, you're, you're such a thoughtful guy. What do you see right now as the biggest challenge that you have? And maybe what do you see as one of the biggest opportunities?
0: The biggest challenge, I think, right now is trying to reinvent Mastodon. You know? Mm-hmm. To step into this new opportunity to make a new album is this incredible opportunity to discover something new and turn over this rock, you know? mm mm-hmm. You just desperately want that moment to not slip through your fingers, you know. You yeah. want to pay such close attention to it and you want to try to block out all the the noise, you know, and be able to focus on it and really give it all the attention that it deserves and not pay attention to anything that's external, you know. Mm-hmm. And, Try and reach, and try to be unique. You know, within sure. the with the, you know with with this being a twenty year project now, it would be easy to kind of do the same old thing. You know,
1: yeah, you could just do muscle memory and and the machine could you could just chug along. Yeah, um, because, kind of doing status quo.
0: You know, yeah, but so we don't want to do that at all. You know, um, right. but sometimes it's hard to motivate yourself to change. You know, and to try to look for that new sound that new thing you know when you know you don't even know if anybody wants that from you which is fine and i don't and that that's part of it the part of it is not caring about that you know but it's so hard these days you know what i mean we're so uh, there's such an ability to see what everyone is thinking about your thing You know what I mean? Which (laughs) just kinda sucks, you know. It's like I wish desperately that I could just tune all that stuff out. Like I've heard Josh from Queens, you know, talk about he I don't read any of that stuff at all. I'm like, You don't? (laughs) Oh man, I wish I was you. I wanna do that. I'm so I'm trying to do that and have that. (laughs) I mean, it's not like it affects anything. Like it's not like it really affects what happens. It just it just affects you personally, you know what I mean? You just go, oh no, they don't like it. Oh, they don't like me.
1: But you never know. It could kind of, it could seep in in ways you don't expect and, 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 of tilt, course. and tilt decisions or choices or expectations. You
0: know? Yeah, you hope that it doesn't, obviously. But um, so right now, the biggest challenge is to remain excited. Plus it's it's a strange time. I don't know if you know, but there's this pandemic going around.
1: <laughs> I have not. I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: So it's really like, where we would have already probably recorded this new material, Uh we're still sort of pouring over it at the moment, which could be either good or or not good. I don't know. (laughs) We haven't decided yet. So kind of like, yeah, we're kind of, I'm kind of leaving it alone at the moment and not like, because I've listened to it so much now where I don't want to get to a point where I'm like not excited to go record it, which I don't think it's going to happen because it's like, once we actually go in and, and do and start, Which is going to be probably pretty soon. We have a lot of material. We have too much material. Nice. Uh, So
1: I think I think that's nice, right? That's good.
0: It is good. It's good and it's bad because you have to choose, and uh, you know. Uh,
1: What's it? uh, Faulkner said writers must kill all of their darlings. Yeah, it's true. It's like (laughs) it's savage.
0: It is. It's not an enviable task, you know. You're, but it's work you know it's just it's going down there and, and it's work it's a lot of work uh, sure. and at this point you know not that it's not fun because it, it can be but it's it's a making an album that you care about deeply is always a roller coaster ride you know what i mean you're always like yeah like you're up and down with it you're like i fucking hate this and all of it is shit and we need to just scrap this whole thing and start over. And then the very next day, you're like, "I love this. It's amazing. <laughs> I love <laughs> so, my life." This yeah, is this, the this is the fe- Yeah, it's so like
1: Cause it's like Christmas because it's all about expectation. You're all building up to this one day, but you're doing it with all these people that you do it with every time, and there's all this history and baggage, and every Christmas is the same, but every Christmas is different. Yeah, because it's like unwrapping an album.
0: Yeah, and you know, we're current. I'm currently in this, you know, stages of like. Of falling in love with it but but when you fall in love with something it's not all you know there's there's the, there's those moments where you don't love where you hate it <laughs> you know yeah, sure so yeah. it's like i don't know i'm i'm just i'm the same with every cycle so yeah people have to remind me of, of that well this is how you are with every re- record we do like, oh yeah right.
1: i forgot congratulations condolences it's yeah. like you're both <laughs> yeah exactly That's- but
0: you know we don't get paid for this. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Not clocking in and like taking a paycheck. This is all like the labor of love, you know? So (laughs) we're just doing it with, and there's no promise of that. You'll get to tour it, you know, at this point,
1: yeah, we have
0: no idea what's going to happen. I mean, you know, all signs point to a vaccine, but you know, and when the vaccine is available, what's that going to look like? You know, are people even going to take it? Because there's a whole segment of the population that doesn't even believe in in vaccines or, or thinks that they can lead to other illness or... It's
1: a government plot or... They, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all kinds of stuff, yeah. All
0: kinds of crazy shit. And uh, are people going to be too scared to go to concerts when, once they open back up? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I guess yeah. we will see. It's all like everybody that... Uh, all the musicians in the world are like waiting next to the telephone for the doctor to call with the results.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everybody's waiting for the phone call. Uh, yeah. Okay. You can world. do that again. And
0: yeah. Then go, okay. we going to
1: blow a whistle and everybody starts again. It's crazy. Well, I can't, uh, I can't, none of us can imagine how it's going to end, but, uh, how does it affect your art? If at all, uh, do you, do you find it coming through in your music in a different way? I mean, since you guys are in this creative moment, will there be some imprint of this pandemic on that music? I don't know
0: that you could sidestep it. You know what I mean. I think that it's cause it's going to be in everyone's much like the virus is going to be. <laughs> it's going to work its way into <laughs> everyone's art and music. You know that you're going to hear for the next few years. It's isolationism. It's I like, you know, people are alone. People are, people are missing people. Uh, mm-hmm. There's been so much death and sickness and uh, just the yeah. the horrible things of life have unfolded for a lot of people. Luckily. For me, you know, and for the guys in our band, we haven't been really touched by it just yet, yeah. you know but uh as far as this particular group of songs and the lyrics, the lyrical content for me is kind of we're still sort of getting through uh the death of our manager and our best one of our best friends, Nick John was like our yeah. you know he was our guy, and he he died a couple of years ago um, yeah. from pancreatic cancer, and we just it's been challenging to go through this process without him because he was so, this was like his, this was his deal. Like he was, he loved this part of it so much. Like, you know, we would like record a riff on a, on a, on a telephone down at the, at the space and send it to him and he would get on the phone with me and just nerd out for like an hour about how much he loved the riff. You know what I mean? He just was yeah so excited. He was our biggest cheerleader.
1: Oh man. So it's tough. A true it's, believer is. Yeah, it's
0: he, he just, it, it was, it's been like it's time to grow up, you know, almost, unfortunately. You know, it's, it's yeah. been like, I just need to be confident in, and I always was, but it was just nice to have somebody that would reaffirm all those feelings, you know what I mean? You'd be like, because sometimes when you're creating and when you're making an album, you know, you, you, you need that person to like bounce stuff off of, you know, that's like yeah. inside but outside. You know, they're not mm-hmm. in the room when you're creating the stuff, but then directly after you're like, here, is this any good? You know? And the person's like, fuck yeah, that rules. <laughs> and you know, he was just real. I don't know. That's just, he just was a, yeah. a wonderful human being and it just sucks that he's not around, you know? So
1: yeah, it does suck.
0: Yeah. So it's been hard to, to navigate and um, you know, a lot of, a lot of him is going to be, you know, in the next album. So. I mean, he deserves yeah. nothing less.
1: Yeah, that's a really tough loss for you guys. And and uh, I remember when it happened and reading about it from afar. That's a tough one. Pancreatic cancer is like it can be vicious.
0: Oh, it's a monster. Yeah, it's like uh, you're not going to meet too many people that are like, oh yeah, I had that and I'm good now.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's not really part of it. Although I've met a couple, but you know, it's, they're 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 rare.
1: Well, uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, ask you uh, before we let you go, because you have this uh, interest in illustration and arts and uh, obviously with uh, your interest in the band's visual representation, you know, art direction, uh, so to speak, I was curious about some of like maybe your favorite album covers through the years, like as a fan, like uh, illustrated covers, if there's any that kind of stick out in your memory, especially all that record store shopping with your pop.
0: Oh, yeah. I'd say... Obviously, the Iron Maiden album covers were. I remember being a kid and uh, Peace of Mind had just come out. And so, you know, had a monster on it. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I didn't know what it was. You know, it looks cool. So I, I bought it. I actually stole $10 out of my mom's purse when she was sleeping. <laughs> and I walked to the record store when I was eight years old and I bought Peace of Mind because it had a monster on it for $8. Uh-huh. And then I went down to the bargain bin. And I got a used copy of Kiss Destroyer because it had four monsters on it. <laughs> and I bought ACDC's Back in Black because it was all black. And I was like, this looks cool. What?
1: Yeah. That's a big day. That's a big day right it's there. It's a
0: huge day. Like looking back on it, I'm like, wow, okay, cool.
1: You should get those three albums and like put them in a, a frame above your desk. And, like, here's where it started. Yeah, 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 I should. I actually have
0: all three. I still have them. They They yeah. made it. I don't know how, but. I've moved. Oh, that's great! I've moved several times. Editions. Yeah, the the, oh, ac- the actual ones with the with the fifty cent sticker on it.
1: <laughs> that's great. You know, I the physical quality of an LP, uh, the artwork, and the, you know the gatefold and the, all the stuff, everything. It, I just miss that so much. You know, it's such a it was such a cultural touchstone uh, or such a, a ritual too. You know. Oh yeah. Put a record on; it gave you something to do while you were while it was spinning, and it it just felt like a. Uh, such a, uh, a a pure ritual
0: yeah yeah i mean i yeah. you know you had, like if your friend got whatever record had just come out you know you'd go over and okay we're gonna listen to this record it was like very you paid attention to it you know it wasn't just yeah in the background it was like all right sit down we're gonna listen to this <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> yeah. and you stare exactly. at the
0: album cover and you open it up like oh my god it's so cool
1: it's like going to class, but like I never did that in class, but it's like the way I should have acted in class is how I acted when a new album would come out.
0: Yeah, the same for me. <laughs> I could have cared less about what was happening in class. I just was trying to think of something funny to do. You know, it's like I'm going to pass yeah. a note around to each person. We're going to all put our hands up at the same time and ask to go to the bathroom. It's going to be great. <laughs> you know,
1: way till this happens. Yeah, yeah. but and uh, hijinks ensues. Yeah,
0: so I think that, mainly Iron Maiden you know for me and I remember oh some of the like the King Diamond album covers I loved those just because the narrative that was you know they were always told a story so you could like within the art that was in the on the album covers and on the back you know you could like piece together some some scenes that were being described in the lyrics and the same with Iron Maiden i say like somewhere in time there's just so much going on with that piece you know it's like it's just so there's just so much to it. Yeah. uh yeah,
1: Number of the Beast. uh
0: uh-huh. Uh Bitch's Brew, I'd say it was something I stared at for hours, you know.
1: What about like a Zeppelin? Like Physical Graffiti or House of the Holy.
0: Oh, House of the Holy. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, House of
1: the Holy was pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a
0: gorgeous album cover. It's so. uh Yeah. It's really cool mystical you know you're like what's happening <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> where are they coming? and then there's some album covers that was better than the music you know like molly hatchet like you know the album cover yeah totally like, uh,
0: like when I, I mean when i was a kid i remember when i saw that album cover you're thinking okay this is gonna be some some really <laughs> yeah. heavy shit you know
1: yeah you're like oh okay like, huh?
0: yeah all right yeah. that's fine yeah. that's fine yeah blue oyster yeah. call
1: yeah um and queen queen had you know, like, uh, some great album covers.
0: Yeah. yeah. I love, I just love to look at oh, what's the, what's the name of that queen album with the giant robot on it.
1: Yeah. That's, that's who I was thinking of. Cause, uh, and that's a really well-known sci-fi artist Yeah, whose name just flew out of my head, but he, uh, did great stuff for many, many years. Um, uh, I can't think of his name.
0: Yeah, that was beautiful. I remember staring at that yeah. for hours. I remember staring at the, uh, People Are Strange album covers. It's a photo, but, uh, I just remember looking at that. I just had a real fascination with, uh, Circus people and clowns and stuff. Oh, yeah. When I was
1: a kid, sure. I mean, I still
0: do. I have yeah. a clown room in my house. I can't pretend that I'm not still way deep in the circus stuff.
1: Do you like all size clowns, or are you clown specific? Do you like chubby clowns, skinny clowns, just every clown, uh, sad clowns, all clowns,
0: all clowns? I, I'm not really a big fan of scary clowns on purpose.
1: Mm-hmm. I like you like uh, this sort of unintended. Yeah, because
0: I think that they, for a lot of people. You know, they already make them uncomfortable, just mm. just how they are. You know, they don't have to have fangs, you know what I mean? Right. It's right. kind of silly. But, uh, yeah, I like them all. I mean, I like all the circus clowns. You know, I love Lou Jacobs, which was a famous uh, Ringling Brothers clown. I love...
1: Uh, you don't just like the imagery. I mean, you love the history of the performance.
0: When I was a little kid, my grandfather was in the Shrine Circus. He was a shriner. Oh.
1: Yeah.
0: My sister and I would go there, and I remember being brought like backstage and I saw the clowns putting their makeup on and uh uh, I was like whoa (laughs) I couldn't believe it you know seeing them do their thing and get their giant shoes on and stuff and I don't know
1: and be like grease paint and stuff yeah yeah uh, like they were traditional stuff
0: I really love the aesthetics of a clown I like the way they look and like I said I have a clown room in my home which is basically it's not your grandma's clown room it's a it's kind of, like, it's kind of Italian. Look. It's like pink and orange striped walls, and then a bunch of paintings of different clowns. And then there's I have yeah, a clown like chandelier that my friend Adam Wallachavage from uh, that makes octopus chandeliers from Philadelphia. He made a, a special clown chandelier for the room. And then there, oh. you know, I do like, like the I have a replica of the clown from Poltergeist because I love that movie. You know, sure, uh, yeah. It's a classic.
1: Yeah, it is, definitely classic. Yeah,
0: Toby Hooper and Spielberg produced. So, you know, but I also, I like to pretend that I don't understand when people are afraid of them, you know? So it's kind of a fun little button to push. So there's that yeah. aspect of it, you know what I mean? Like I have a velvet painting collection as well, and I have a velvet painting of JonBenet Ramsey. And I, know, I like that it makes people feel uncomfortable, you know?
1: Right, yeah, it's uh, uh, subversive. Yeah uh clowns like and there's a the whole thing why people find clowns disturbing it's the valley of the canning right like the it's the principle of a, a face that looks human but not quite alive is very unsettling to people
0: yeah there's uh, a fixed smile you know and yeah. it's like well then yeah, i guess you're afraid of dolphins too
1: you know i have a lot of <laughs> dolphin fear <Yeah. laughs> I, 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 they terrify me they're always laughing and squealing and i just i just it makes me nervous yeah
0: they try to have sex with people
1: <laughs> now have you ever seen a clown dolphin now that is really terrifying
0: no I haven't.
1: No, Not in the wild no, anyways. So well fantastic. And is um any other uh uh illustration covers that uh, kind of speak to you or
0: uh Bitches Brew. Did we say that already?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good, that's a classic. That's definitely a good one.
0: Yeah, I remember staring at that for hours just because it kind of just it's all dripping into itself and just wild. Yeah. I I it just it just yeah. was I, I mean, I love an album cover that um makes you it it, that intrigues you to where you want to listen to whatever's inside of that you know what i mean and i think that that's very important and uh that's something we always try to do is to have something that like especially early on you know with remission i really wanted something that looked classic you know Mm -hmm. but not in a in an album cover sense i was like i want it to look like a Almost like a Dutch masters style painting, you know. I remember having this conversation yeah. with the artist Paul Romano. He said I want this horse that's on fire, but I want it to be painted. Uh, you know, I remember being like, "Can can you do that? Can you paint like uh-huh. a, you know, like a Dutch master?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, sure, yeah, I got you."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not no problem. Here's my Rembrandt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's great. That must be amazing to have that kind of ability to just turn that turn that button i know or no. push that button. he's, he's yeah. a really
0: incredible artist uh and and i love working with him c- because he you know we go we just have a, a great um back and forth with like brainstorming about ideas and he knows art history so well that you can just reference this 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 and the other thing and go through all the different kind of cultural reference especially the, what we did with like uh, leviathan you know we had like oh you know indonesian we're, i want indonesian shadow puppets up in the corners with harpoons and i want to decorate the whale like a like a hindu elephant you know and he's like oh yeah with like big bells and stuff i we, yeah exactly you know so it's easy he understands all the references and, and there's nothing you know that and he can go even further with with things you know so um yeah. It's fun to work with him because he's just so intelligent about all the, all of that.
1: Yeah, well, it's great, you know, and uh, they provide like a book cover to to the epic music that's inside, you know, and so it's uh, it definitely uh, all fits together in a really powerful, you know,
0: package. Yeah, an
1: amazing sort of hybrid kind of synthesis. So. Well, fantastic, man. Well, what a, a treat to talk to you. I, you, you know, so much about film and and uh, illustration and stuff. I could talk to you all day. It'd be uh, a lot of fun to do some movie trivia with you, you know, sometime.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
1: <laughs> okay, we'll get you back, and uh, maybe we'll do some of the the top rock and roll movies of all time, or something like that. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay, well, that sounds terrific, man. Well, best of luck to you uh, with the, uh, and, and again for everybody uh, that's listening to the show. You know, there's the Bill and Ted soundtrack, but there's also new uh, collection of rarities and kind of odds and ends. Shrapnel, that, uh, yeah, shrapnel <laughs> uh, that'll uh, fans will really love. And uh, it's the 20th anniversary, and and we're lucky to have uh, a lot more music to come from you guys. So thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: <laughs> all right, man. Take care. Yeah, you too. All right. Cheers. Bye.
2: And that was Braun Dayler. Sounds like you guys had a really good time talking. He's a
1: really yeah. good guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I hadn't talked to him before and uh I think it went really well. And um I I love all the different things that they got going. You know, he's a he's yeah. like a renaissance man. You can tell he's uh he's got a full schedule. You know, he's got things that he's excited about and that's that's always a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, and it to me it's kind of funny how their band was just like at the right place at the right time. And they were able just to be a part of game of thrones twice. You know, it's not many people get to say they were a part of something,
1: you know, that historic, I guess. You're exactly right. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it'll be great trivia for people in the years to come, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, what band showed up on game of thrones, yeah, uh, things like that. And then, uh,
2: you guys talked a little bit about album art, which I find interesting. Um, you know but as a millennial I'm not, i don't really know much about album art but you guys really seem to hit it off on
1: that yeah you know the album art was a bigger deal obviously uh, when when the art was bigger uh, you know when it was the size of an lp um you know when it went to cds it, that sort of undermined the uh, the the entire thing um, and then digital you know you don't really spend much time associating music with a visual image uh, in the digital age as much as when you had to put a record on and then flip the record, you know, uh, you would sit there and you would look at the album art. Um, You know, there's a great history of comics uh, in album art and, and rock and roll in comics. You know, it's something I've always loved. Actually, it's one of my like kind of pet interests, but uh, there's some great comic book covers through the years too. And we didn't really get into it uh, when we were talking to him, but for instance, like uh, John Byrne did a, a silver surfer cover for Joe Satriani's Surfing with the Alien um, cover, although now you can't buy it because they, uh, Marvel's retroactively denied the, them access to that character or that image. So now they have a new cover if you buy the album, it has a different cover uh, if you can find it. Um, you know, and, and things like that, and the, the fantasy art and uh, superheroes and stuff, and, and also going back to the 60s with, you know, Janis Joplin. Uh, and Big Brother and the Holding Company had a uh, uh, Robert Crumb cover. Crumb did a lot of covers through the years. Uh, uh, Mobius did a lot of album covers. He did one for Jimi Hendrix, uh, a great 1980s uh, or 90s era reissue of uh, some Hendrix stuff mm-hmm. with a tremendous Mobius cover. Um, so a lot of good stuff.
2: And that reminds me, actually, you guys had talked about a certain Queen album with a robot on the front. And you guys oh, can't yeah. remember who the artist was. The artist Who's, was Kelly Freeze.
1: That's it. That's it. Very good. Thank you, sir. Yes, <laughs> I was embarrassed. I couldn't remember that. And the album is uh, News of the World, I, I believe. Yes. It right? the title, right? It, it came to me as soon as we were done.
2: Yeah, it has Iron Giant on the front, I think.
1: It looks yeah. like the Iron Giant.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, one one album cover that I really like is Mountain's album Climbing. It's kind of uh, fantasy-esque. It has kind of like a wizard um, in the forefront and kind of like a very cool
1: red and yellow background I don't know if you've seen that album you know I haven't I haven't seen that one I I I also like um I think Kanye West has some pretty cool album covers in a very different type of artistic uh expression uh which of course you would expect from Kanye and with all his you know very uh specific interests you know he has a lot of he's a big fan of um you know anime and, and um uh and you can see that represented in the way that he uh he does his art design art direction
2: oh yeah definitely he's yeah. he's somebody who i think kind of like what we found out about braun just kind of like wants kind of control over all parts you know braun was kind of talking about how he picks out the album covers you know he kind of wants he helps write the songs so he's like true musicians like that who want you know like whose life is their band
1: yeah yeah They're, they become the art designer um for the entire existence of the band and, and there's you know there's it, like Adam and Tool, or, or uh, you know, with Gerard Way over in My Chemical Romance, those are other guys who, you know, have this sort of uh, uh, affinity for the art and and this talent and stuff. And it really does expand out the um, the music experience for the fans. It makes it really kind of a richer uh, interaction. Definitely,
2: definitely. Well, before we go, um, just want to know about some recommendations. And so because of the She-Hulk news that we talked about, my recommendation for TV is Orphan Black, which actually stars Tatiana Maslany. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen that show, but it's pretty good. And if you want to get a a feel for kind of what she she's like and what kind of actress she is, it's definitely a good um, show to check out. And she also, Jeff, I don't know if you knew this, but she also was Katniss, not in the movie, but in the audiobook for Hunger Games.
1: Oh, now that's good trivia. No, I did not know that. Um, and is she? And she's not green. Right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay, good. Yeah, because I, I would think that that would be distracting. Um, that sounds really good. You know, I've heard tremendous things about Orphan Black, and I, I will watch it uh, before before we do the next show, just because uh, I'm interested in her and, and, uh, and checking it out uh, to see what, uh, what's on tap.
2: Definitely. And then, uh, so before we go there's one last thing we need to know about, which is the essential shelf of the week.
1: I think you have one teed up for us. Well, you know, I realized that we were doing, I looked over some of the stuff that we already had on the shelf and I realized that we were doing um, unintentionally, Um, we had a lot of DC stuff or stuff that was published by DC Comics. So we're gonna mix it up a little bit. Um, Today's essential shelf is a very different uh, selection. Uh, I was gonna go with Ex Machina, um, which is not to be confused with the film of the same title, uh, this one is, uh, was published by Wildstorm, and it's um, a tremendous story by uh, Brian K. Vaughn, who's a great writer. Um, people know from uh, Why the Last Man. And uh, the art by Tony Harris, which is really, really good, and, and uh, I think it does a really good job. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. The art's by um, Tony Harris, who I think has a really interesting style and does a really good job. With uh, the premise, which is presenting a story that takes place in New York City, and it's uh, it's a uh, New York that's like the one that we live in, or like the one that in our world, um, there's no superheroes, there's no aliens, there's you know it's pretty uh, routine, and uh, this this guy who uh, encounters a, a strange, mysterious object, and after he does, it changes him physiologically. Uh, he finds that he can communicate with machines uh, and oh interesting he can, he can communicate with very complex machines like computers and digital things but he can also uh, inter- he can talk communicate with very basic machines of uh, uh, you know basically just uh, tools that act on their own um, and where it takes the story from there is really fascinating because it's a sci-fi story but it becomes a political story. Uh, this guy that gets these powers, uh, his name is Hundred is his last name. Uh, he becomes uh, the mayor of New York City. He runs for mayor. Uh, and the, the reason that he becomes uh, positioned to, to, to for a successful candidacy is because uh, he uses his power to stop the second plane from crashing into the World Trade Center on Whoa. September 11th. So the story takes place you know, uh, it it goes straight into September 11th. I mean, it it, it uses that as a, a fundamental part of the storyline, uh, and he basically tells the plane turn and and so it doesn't hit the tower, and and he it changes the way that uh, that tragic day unfolded, and it makes him a hero to the people of New York, and he parlays that into a political career and becomes the mayor of the city, and then. The, the comic becomes almost like a West Wing style, uh, look into the inner workings of uh, a, a mayoral office and the mayoral cabinet and, and how they deal with the different uh, scandals and crises of uh, the, the largest and most populous city in, in, uh, in the United States. That's
2: very cool and definitely different from what we've been teeing up so far. I think that would be a very cool read for a
1: lot of our listeners. I think it's a very sophisticated book. I I think it's bold. I think it's, it it shows a lot of creative bravery to, to use that storyline. I think that, uh, people get, uh, squeamish about, uh, trying to incorporate something that heavy and, and, uh, real into a a story that's, uh, a science fiction or a fantasy story. Um, and it it could have been a disaster, but, uh, luckily, Brian K Vaughn is a very, very talented writer and, uh, it's, uh, it ends up being one of the the most unexpected um, comic book you know premises around, and and one I really really enjoyed. I, I look forward to buying Ex Machina every time it came out. Um, and so you it's can buy the now, it is, and you can buy the uh, a, a collected. You know I have a hardcover, uh, the deluxe edition. Um, I have books one, two, three, and four, uh, and if you you know, if you can get all four, then of the first, those four, then you would have really the kind of the basis of the, the mythology at the beginning. Um, but I recommend any of them, uh, you know, if you just get the first one, that's great too. And uh, I'm intrigued to see what you think of it. It's, it's, like I said, it's, it's a, it's a different flavor than uh, the other comic books around at the time. And, and, uh, uh, and I really appreciate it because I felt like it was, it was, pushing uh, to do something sophisticated and different, you know, uh, I hadn't seen anything mm-hmm. quite like that. And I always uh, give people points for, uh, points for innovation and courage.
2: Yeah. Our shelf is starting to get a little crowded. We have five books on there now. It's going to buckle. Yeah. We have V for Vendetta, New Frontier, Sandman, Watchmen, and now we have X Machina. That's so we a pretty have good four, shelf.
1: That's four DC published DC books in a row. We, like, people are gonna think we don't like Marvel. We gotta, we gotta get down with Marvel. We gotta get Dark Horse in here and Fantagraphics and, and we're gonna like, kind of uh, make sure that the, uh, the shelf is as varied and as rich as the, the world's offerings in the exciting universe of comic books. Yes, definitely.
2: Well, that's it for this week. Um, I actually have one surprising news thing for you, Jeff, which is right now we're number three in Sweden. So, oh. but we've fallen off the Croatia chart. So I hate to tell you that, but what? Yeah, we're not, not number one in Croatia anymore. Oh
1: man, um, that's well. I don't know. It's, it's 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 an overwhelming. There's there's a lot um, unpacked there. I got to think about that. I, um, Croatia. I, I I I miss you. I don't know what I did wrong. Um, and and we're number three. You said in Sweden.
2: In Sweden, yes.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. You'll be you I love the Swedish chef. Uh, I could do a Swedish chef impression for you.
2: Uh, I think we're out of time.
1: Yeah, I but think
2: we'll get it next week.
1: Okay, sounds good. Man. <laughs> I talk to you later. All right, take care.